0: Excuse me, Captain Kirk. Yes, sir. Mr. Scott. What a charming negress. Oh, forgive me, my dear. I know that in my time some used that term as a description of property. But why should I object to that term, sir? You see, in our century, we've learned not to fear words. May I present our communications, officer, Lieutenant Ahura? The foolishness of my century had me apologizing where no offense was given. We've each learned to be delighted with what we are. You're traveling to another radio show. A broadcast not only of sight and sound, but of mind, mind. A journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination. That's the on-air sign up ahead. Your next stop, Afro Nerd Radio. With your guides, D-Bird, Captain Kirk, and on Grindhouse Saturdays, the uncanny Daryl B. Mind Expansion Engage.
1: Direct, for your listening pleasure, I am your host, d Bert, a.k.a. The Afro Nerd. And this is the midweek review edition of Afro Nerd featuring Captain Kirk, oftentimes the uncanny there You, too, can join in on the fun, a.k.a. discourse. The caller number, 646-915-9620, again, 646-915-9620. So, this show, we're going to talk... A lot about what we didn't get into from last week's Grindhouse podcast. Uh, We overindulged because of our friend David Walker. The polymath, although he says annoying, but that's not the case. He is a polymath, certainly, uh, with all of his projects. I mean, he's just nonstop. So he came through, and we extended full time to him. Uh, and there were a lot of things that we left off the, left on the table, so we're going to try to readdress those topics that we were unable to talk about on Sunday's show, including some stuff that happened within the last 24 to 48 hours. Uh, Katherine Johnson, legendary mathematician and physicist, um, residing in my alma mater's space and, from Hampton, um, the Hampton Roads area. Langley Air Force Base, NASA, and so forth, in in the in the bailiwick of my of my uh, my school, Katherine Johnson passes at the age of one hundred one, and some may say, well, look, she made made it to become a centurion, which is what all of us would want to want to. I mean, personally, I want to be frozen. I want to be frozen into the next century, but that's another. That's that's me being wacky. Uh, I'm working on it though. Anyway, so um, many of us became aware of. Ms. Johnson, Mrs. Johnson, via Hidden Figures, the hit film starring Taraji P. Henson. So um, we're going to talk about her, the importance of of what she really represents, black connotation at its finest. Uh, During a time of segregation, we're still talking about the South. We're still talking about how black people were perceived and how she was able to navigate in spaces back then Really leading us to where we are now. You might not have someone like a Neil deGrasse Tyson with, without having someone as uh, as a precursor to where, to where he is today. You might not have that. So anyway, um, with a heavy heart, I, it really hit me. I mean, even, again, even though she made it to be a century, over a century, and a century and a year, because of uh, her importance, and you know, we many of of us. Cross-racially, actually. I think she's a, she's a national, if not international, hero. Uh, you still don't want someone like that to, 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 to go. You know, we want, we want everyone to stick around. But we're going to talk about her. Um, Candyman, the reboot trailer. We saw uh, like a teaser. We're supposed to be seeing the full trailer tomorrow. And also the highly anticipated self-made the life of Madam CJ Walker trailer made it to the internets. So we we got some stuff to talk about. Anyway, let's get to the herb alt groove, black rock, psychedelic soul. You know we've been doing this for so many, so many years now and it's just it becomes more and more important that we play the music that really is part of our legacy. It's part of the archive. Uh there's ongoing artists, there's classic artists and artists that you have really yet to hear from. You will hear them if it's if If it's up to us, we're going to make a place for these people to be heard so um and you, you know you know the tagline corporate media just doesn't play this stuff. We play it here. This is the late great Ronnie Jordan. Shout out to mr. Starks aka Iron Ironman. He's the one that actually hit me to Ronnie Jordan sometime in the late nineties early aughts, and uh, he died as a relatively young person, maybe in his forties or something like that. So uh, it's very unfortunate, but uh, this is the artist that clued me in more into the acid jazz scene, acid jazz. So without further ado, you're going to want to get some of his work. I think he has maybe two or three albums available. This is Ronnie Jordan, Blues Grinder, Blues Grinder. Let's groove. We'll be right back. Out the face of once again, the late great Ronnie Jordan, blues grinder, blues grinder. This is the midweek review edition of Afternoon featuring Captain Kirk, oftentimes the uncanny Daryl B. And let's just get into it, Captain. You're needed on mm, Planet Vulcan, the brain planet, Planet Vulcan. Let's get to it, sir. Is all you get this time. <laughs> I was waiting for you to be beamed up after that Space 1999 intro to the listening audience. Once again, uh, just changing things up a little bit. You know, we always keep it blurry, sci-fi, and, and such. That is uh, the funky instrumental intro for Martin Landau and his wife Barbara Bain's sci-fi effort maybe 10 years after, a little maybe between... Six and ten years after the 1966-67 Star Trek, they went into it into the 70s. Anyway, um, yes, this is the midweek. The call-in number, 646-915-9620, 646-915-9620. So, uh, Captain, let's, let's talk about Katherine Johnson. Now, I know that uh, I saw something on Twitter where... Our stalwart supporter, Q Storm, took umbrage with journalist Gail King. That she, I didn't, I didn't even—I don't even know where he saw this. I'm just going by what he said. He said there was some interview somewhere with King where she admitted she didn't know about Katherine Johnson. And I guess you know many of us in the nerd space didn't she watch the even, movie? Yeah, I think well, yeah, well, she—I think she knew it. She admitted she did not know her. Only from just the movie, I think she became aware. But look, to be fair, many people did not know of this woman's yeah. exploits till That's that definitely. movie. Now, I was aware of Catherine Johnson and uh, and a really less about Johnson specifically. I mean, I did I didn't know about her, but um, I was more aware of of this cadre of black women. Yep. known as like the, the black computers, the brown computers that Nassau had used. So they were the unseen faces that were involved uh with with the moon landing. So I mean it, it's 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 good when it comes down to cinema to focus on one person. But she was one of a pool of well educated, well heeled, middle class black women that were used kind of undercover from NASA, because you know you understand NASA was a relatively new consideration. You're talking about you know NASA was something that was developed in the in the 50s. So um, you know this, this is a, this is a whole new this is this is this is new, but it, it is you know you think about the story itself and where black people come from. I mean let's 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 talk about this. You know I'm, I'm heavy. All of us are heavy about the about the concept of black intelligence, the branding of black intelligence. And there have been points in history that are so antithetical to what has been put out there, what has been promoted as this kind of um, lower frequency uh, – the lower frequency and, and – um, you know, inferior concept of black people. I mean, that that's been our experience. Um, the fear of teaching us how to read. I mean, if, you know, look, if, if this is the irony, no no one has actually studied, to my knowledge, the the psychological component to slavers who 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 said that. Well, black people are inferior, but we can't teach them to read. It's illegal to teach them to read. Now, it's not illegal to teach a dog to read because, you know, at least in my knowledge, you never know, <laughs> you can't teach a dog to read. But to, but to, to liken black people to, to, to chattel, chattel slavery, why would you be fearful of teaching a black person to read if you knew he, he or she could not read? So that's where we're coming from. We're coming from illiteracy. So you're coming from illiteracy to now black computers, a, a pool of black women. And th- again, this is at a time that you had to, you had to rely on, on human computation, complex computation that now we take for granted. This is, this is really pre-computerization. And even, even when you, they started to have some computers, you're talking about computers that took up the size of of a, of an entire floor. Now probably what's in your pocket is more powerful than what we're talking about in the 1950s and 60s. So in the case of Katherine Johnson getting into her into her specific history, she's she's quite an amazing person, but she also represents what 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 black education meant. Like when we think about. Um, is how some other racial groups are perceived When you think about in, As of late Let's say in the last 40 years 45, 45 years or such Of uh, those Of Asian, Asian descent Having the, the Cultural standard Or, or the, cultural, the cultural Code to, to impart learning Learning is central As a stereotype but as a culture with especially Asian immigrants and even, you know, in Asia, we I mean clearly, right? But there was a time we don't talk about this. We act like it, we act like it never existed. But there was a time, uh, postbellum, after slavery, where education was everything to Black people. Like the 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 idea of coming out of slavery. Now, once we were freed, getting some kind of education was was like. That was it. We, we had – that, that is a, a central component to early 19th century, mid-19th century and early 20th century black life had a lot to do with the access of education. And in the case of Katherine Johnson, when you get into her history specifically, you start to see that she was, was, was really mentored. By some pretty uh, eclectic and special cogitative Black people, so I'm going I'm to read a, a little blurb from Wiki just to kind of give you. Cause I don't want to miss anything up, so I want to make sure that I, I, I get I impart this with you know the fact that she she went to obviously HBCUs under the tutelage of mathematicians at at these HBCUs at the at the high school level, at the college level, at the at the graduate level. So we, when you have Emphasis on education, and you have people that look like you educating you. You see how this works. You see what we what we did back then that we seem to scratch our heads and not know how to do it now. What we knew back then, we don't know how to do back now. So let me let me read a little bit of her history, so you get an understanding of how she became this this, this stellar mathematician, comput- doing computation for NASA. All right, so here we go. Uh, I'm going to read this, this, this paragraph there, so just bear, bear with me. Criola Catherine Coleman was born on August 26, 1918, in White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia. To Joliet and Joshua Coleman, she was the youngest of four children. Her mother was a teacher, and her father was a lumberman, farmer, and handyman, and worked at the Greenbrier Hotel. All right. Uh Coleman showed strong mathematical mathematical abilities from an early age. Because Greenbrier County did not offer public schooling for African-American students past the eighth grade, the Colemans arranged for their children to attend high school in Institute, West Virginia. This school was on the campus of West Virginia State College. Johnson was enrolled when she was only 10 years old. The family split their time between Institute during the school year and white Topa Springs in the summer. After graduating from high school at 14, Johnson enrolled at West Virginia State, a historically black college. As a student, she took every math course offered by the college. Multiple professors mentored her, including the chemist and mathematician Angie Turner King, who had mentored Coleman throughout, her high, throughout high school, and W.W. Scheiflin Clater, the third African American to receive a Ph.D. in mathematics. Now, understand this. She's being trained By A notable mathematician in her own right Angie Turner King That was in high school And then She was mentored by A gentleman who had gotten A PhD In In mathematics The third African American to get a PhD in mathematics So You see where this is going When she graduates She graduates summa cum laude in math and French, 18 years of age. Now, most people go to college at 18. She'd already graduated at 18. So you're already dealing with high-level cogitation, 1930s, black person. Getting work as a black person back then in in a white world was, was very difficult. It didn't happen right away, right? So she ended up. Going into into the teaching profession, she was, a, she was a teacher for a brief moment, and then she wanted to go into research mathematics, and that's when she she found out that they were offering jobs at um, at Langley Langley Air Force Base, which is which is in, which is in Hampton. NASA is as as also in, in Hampton, so she, she was able to segue from Langley to NASA. Um, Now, I want to read another blurb here to show you how this works. Now, there's also – there's a personality thing here too. She's a black woman, but she was kind of a pushy black woman. So – and again, this is the the late 50s, early 60s. It says, um, according to an oral history archived by the National Visionary Leadership Project – this is about Johnson. At first, Johnson worked in a pool of women performing math calculations. Catherine has referred to the women in the pool as virtual computers who wore skirts. Their main job was to read the data from the black boxes of planes and carry out other precise mathematical tasks. Then one day, Catherine and a colleague were temporarily assigned to help the all-male flight research team. Catherine's knowledge of analytical geometry helped make quick allies of male bosses and colleagues to the extent that they forgot to return me to the pool. While the racial and gender barriers were always there, Catherine says she ignored them. Catherine was assertive, asking to be included in editorial meetings where no women had gone before. She simply told people she had done the work and that she belonged. So, I mean, I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave it there. I mean, I could go on and on. I'm, I'm so proud of Catherine Johnson, and I'm going to get some T-shirts made. I mean, that's just me, but she, she's one of a number, mind you. There was a pool of black women doing complex mathematical equations pre-computer. Now, if, if now if you put this on Front Street, more about what that really means. You can't go around with your pants sagging and doing these, t- doing your, doing your, uh, your, your obese twerk. Yeah, I'm going there because I'm a little angry. You're, you're obese twerking like Lizzo or Lazo. You wouldn't. You, you would do better if you if you knew for this one. this one. This one makes me, irrespective of gender, makes me extremely proud and saddened. I'm ha- I'm sad that the woman died even at 101. I could see her for 201. Because we cause, because we're not get we if we put this kind of thing on the map, black brain work, black cogitation, black intelligence. Instead of, instead of black girl magic, you know. I mean, look, I'm not. I don't want to take a poo poo on it, but I'm, I want to extend it. It's a little deeper than black girl magic. This is this is real black intelligence. Bodies, all of that, because that's our experience. That you don't know anything. You're a bunch of dum dumps. You're you're subhuman. You're us subhumans, but you got a you got a, a pool of black women that got you to space. And that's what that's what it really means. But it's not on Front Street the way it needs to be. It's not on Front Street, the the way it needs to be. That's that's it. I miss Catherine Johnson. This, this was a this was a blow. What are your thoughts, Captain? I'm a little rough. Well,
2: my thoughts are well said. Nothing to add or take away. Good job.
1: Thank you. Um, yeah, well, you know, when I feel it, it comes out. Uh, yeah, I mean this is um this is a blow. You know, there's more. You know, there's more people like that. Matter of fact, you know, uh I might have mentioned this before. Predating predating the black computers. You had uh black cryptographers. So actually um I, I believe a a cryptographer follows the Afro nerd because he he uh I believe a gentleman of Caucasian descent because look, <laughs> the funny thing is, um, I don't want just black people to listen to the show. I really don't. You know, it's, it's like uh, a person that serves uh, a, a Italian cuisine. It's nice that your people, you know, your 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 people honor you, and you would expect that. But it's not. It's not. It's not like you you are against having your clientele be multicultural, multiracial. So so what am I saying? Um I I think it's important you know what I <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go I'm going to go off on I don't want to go off on a tangent. Forget it. <laughs> Captain, well, let me let me keep it closer to the to the cup cuz we got a lot more show to get into. I don't want to it's it's just um I think with, with the purpose of Afro Nerd, uh I I want I want other people to listen to the show, but um let me, let, me, let me turn things around a little bit. I'll just, I'll just mention this briefly I was going to go off on a tangent, but I'll, I'll mention it briefly. So this gentleman who happens to be white, um, and I, I dare I say, I suspect listens to the show, he told me, hey, check this out on Twitter. And it was a 1940-something photograph of, again, well-heeled, um, well-dressed black people circa 1944 or something like that, and they were code breakers for the government. So in order to interpret, uh, ja- uh, chi- uh, um, pardon me, German interpret German messages, they had be- code breakers, and they had just like you had a pool of these these intelligent mathematical black women for NASA. Twenty some odd years before that, you had black men and women doing it cryptography. Um, for 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 the war for World War Two. Now that's another that's probably another hidden figures or similar that I, I don't know who or knows about this or if it, somebody's working on that kind of thing. But there have been points of history where Black people have done some amazing things where it's not a matter of uh, being your body; it's your mind. The mind work was very present at a time of Jim Crow, at a time of you know uh stereotyping and and maids and mantan morlin and all those kind of things, and blackface all that's going on meanwhile, you have black folks hidden doing your math <laughs> you know all right uh cap let's 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 move even even further um okay, so I didn't get a chance to talk about this, and I don't know if you saw this, but um. Did you get a chance to check out Hunters, Hunters on Amazon Prime, Amazon TV?
2: No, I did not.
1: All right, I'm digging this Hunter thing. Now, I don't, I don't know if everybody's going to get into it. I mean, because some people might look at it as, um, mm, I don't want, I don't want to say. To me, I look. I don't know what people may think of this show because anytime I think something is, is like. Hot like apple pie. Someone will tell me is derivative. So anyway, I'll just explain it, and you know we'll just unpack. So anyway, this was talked about sometime. So like <laughs> well, look, I don't. I, I I'm I'm pre pre uh what's the word I'm looking for? Not pre cog, but I'm patient. I can get it to. I mean, I know it, I love Star Trek, so I'm not I'm not really. I know it drags, but it isn't me. Hunter's doesn't drag, so if, if you're worried about that, that's not what's going to happen. The, the only thing about it is you might see flashes of Tarantinoism in it, and it's not Tarantino. You know, again, it, it made the news last year because of the Jordan Peele production on this. I think Jordan Peele has uh, well, the Monkey Paw is involved in this, and uh, you know that, that's one of the production teams involved in. It, I think I know Monkey Paw and Jordan Peele, his name is attached to this project So I like what Jordan does So I said, okay, let me me look at this thing And also the premise is interesting Because you have Al Pacino Involved In a streaming series And it's 1977 So it's the 70s New York, or mostly New York And it deals with Nazi hunters And it's a, a cadre, kind of like A dirty dozen sort of vibe with a cadre of nazi hunters black brown yellow um white of course uh specifically uh jewish and um it's uh it's interesting because well first of all it's a little bit of boys in brazil now I, i'm sure you remember boys in brazil captain Yes, sir. All right. It's very much that. Where you have uh, this, this belief, of, pardon me, boys from Brazil. I'm saying boys are boys from Brazil. Uh, so it's this belief that you have aging Nazis walking around unfettered and, and, and somewhat hidden in modern America after World War II. Now, some of them were brought in, and this is true, actually.
2: some it of these true. Nazis,
1: yeah, I was about to say, it's true. Well, Hunters isn't true. Well, Hunters isn't true. Yeah,
2: well, true the Nazis uh, walking around, yes. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Also yeah. NASA. That, that NASA science. a lot of those scientists, yeah. they got from the
1: Nazi war. Yes. So, that you know, there's aspects. I mean, obviously, this is cinema. This is giving you heavy cinematic treatment. It's Hollywood. Um, and it's also got the Tarantino vibe to it, so it's over the top. The violence is pretty rugged. Um, but you, ha- you, you, you look—you do have people, even to this day, Jewish people are very unrelenting as they should be. With they don't care—they don't care if you are hooked up to a respirator. If you are a Nazi, you got to go. <laughs> okay, we—you have to be dealt with. And I really appreciate it. There's there's no ambiguity. When it comes down to the assault that occurred, the assault, the death, you know, the the, the horror that occurred through the Holocaust. So um, there, there's no time limit with them, okay? There is no statute when it comes to real life Nazi hunters. But in this particular case, you have this this 70s vibe, you have the music, a lot, a lot of of, of comic book geek references so they know the audience that this is going to appeal to I mean it's it's like I I gotta look I gotta do more research as to who who actually did this thing I mean I know that uh, Peel himself again he's more on the executive production side but I gotta go into the the actual creators because these guys have to be comic book people they just have to be comic book people Um, the, the main protagonist like one of the first scenes that you see is them walking out. Like it's a Brooklyn movie theater. They're walking out having seen uh, Star Wars again. It's 1977. So they talk about Star Wars. Um, just one of the, one of the I think the main guy worked in a comic book store. So again, you have an early the early comic book store that's actually there. And then Green Lantern references, Professor X references, direct comic book speak intertwined with um hunting down nazis and and what makes it even more in- interesting actually is it's 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 really a hunt in the true sense of the word that these nazis aren't afraid to to kind of take out some jewish folk that they thought they didn't they didn't address like literally the literally the the prisoners the former prisoners that are walking around they have to wash their backs because these Nazis are kind of in their peer view mean older men like in their seventies that is that were that were the the soldiers the Nazi soldiers during this time that were actually making making them do like horrendous things and they would do flashbacks to to uh, Auschwitz and Dachau. you saw that it's like back and forth in time so the the twenty five year old soldier in nineteen forty three is the 65 year old guy that looks that might be a, a a pet shop owner that all of a sudden gets murderous because he recognizes somebody that he used to, that he used to screw with in the camp, and vice versa, and vice versa. So I'm I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, Ten episodes, I'm about six episodes in, and I'm loving it. I mean, obviously, it's got comic book references, it's got Tarantinoism. It's got uh, an attractive black lead. <laughs> uh, well, one of the leads is African American. I'm sorry.
2: I said blitz The terminology yes. used in football. Blitz.
1: blitz. Yes. That's where it comes from. <laughs> let's let's go to um, Q Storm. He wants to weigh in. Red shirts podcast and also the infamous podcast Juice Prince podcast. What's up, Q?
3: And hey, you're talking about? <clears throat> excuse me. I'm, I'm coming down with something. I'm kind of scared. I'm coming down. My throat is scratchy. <laughs> uh, don't
0: don't go, Trump man. Trump's, Trump's
3: gonna Trump's gonna tell me what to do. He's he's gonna because okay. he cares. Um, so you're talking about hunters? Is this not just a redux of Inglorious Bastards?
1: No, not at all. Because uh, first of all, Inglorious Bastards. I mean, yes, it. Uh, well that was a different kind of revenge I mean that was an upfront revenge During the time of the, the 40s I mean literally was in the middle of the war This is the 1977 So you're dealing with people That are already kind of Entrenched in American society They're already walking around The Nazis and their former victims I mean th- now you're talking about um, uh, One particular person Who is played by Al Pacino Al Pacino is a wealthy guy who on the surface people didn't know exactly you know they, they think he's just a, a successful business person but in his mansion he's got a hidden lair like a comic book a hidden lair where his crew have they have the technology of that time period the 70s technology but they they are going they're scoping out these Nazis <laughs> and hunting them so it's a little different than what I remember in Inglorious Bastards. I mean, you're you're literally in. That it, it was more of a wartime movie. This is after the war. This this plays more like Boys from Brazil. If you uh, if you remember that, that film.
3: I know the movie. I've never seen it, but I know the movie you're talking about.
1: Boys from Brazil is a good movie, man. Um, I'm looking it up now. I'm trying to remember the, my, one of my favorite actors too. Uh, who's uh, what's that guy? Uh, how come I can't find the? Oh yeah, Lawrence Olivier was in there too. Yeah, well, yeah, Lawrence Olivier and and Gregory Peck, but they're not my. Yeah, James Mason. James Mason is one of my favorite actors,
3: so I remember James Man, Laura... Mason was. In... Go ahead, I'm sorry.
1: No, what I'm saying is, yeah, you know, James Mason was one of my favorite actors, but and even a young Steve Gutenberg is in this thing. And this is seventy eight.
3: Did Lawrence Did Olivier,
0: was...
3: didn't Lawrence Olivier also play a a Nazi in uh, Marathon Man? Did you remember that movie?
1: Oh, uh, I could barely see that movie. That's the one where um, Dustin Hoffman gets his teeth taken out or something. I don't remember that scene. <laughs> <laughs> Man,
3: this, Lawrence this Olivier it? is no. It was either him or Maximon Cedar, I can't
1: remember. I think it was Lawrence. I'm checking his filmography now, but you're almost going to be here for days to check out Laurence Olivier's film, filmography. It goes on for days. Yeah, but Lawrence Olivier was considered like like the number one actor in the world. I mean, you know, and this is this is you know towards the end of his of his career. But no, The Boys from Brazil that's a movie that still holds up. I mean, look, it's about racism and hidden Nazis. I mean, it's 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 a horror movie of in, in a way. It's a mental horror movie to think. That, oh, that's uh, right.
3: In, it's about them, isn't it? About these this group of people who are trying to clone Hitler or something like that.
1: Exactly.
3: Yeah. Uh, like, I can't believe I've never seen that. I gotta watch that.
1: No, no, oh, Royce we'll from the
0: <laughs>
3: No,
1: so, so the the hunter, you know, plays more like that. What happens after World War Two? What happens to these not? And also the fact that the, your government, which is which is actually true, that your government relied on some of these these Nazi scientists for, for our own needs, and we ex- somewhat excused their their heinous behavior during the war. That part is true. So there's elements of like actual history interspersed with hunters, but uh, again, for another streaming TV show. That is worth the price of admission. So I was presently surprised.
3: Well, I'm surprised that you haven't seen any pushback with uh, Al Pacino playing a Jewish character. I assume he's playing oh, a Jewish character, right?
1: That's true. He is. That's the part that I'm a little. I mean, yeah. I mean, look, the only thing is.
2: Al Pacino, though. It's Al Pacino.
1: Yeah, that's what I think is going on. But I mean, look, everybody else in here. Was of Jewish descent. You know, you, they were clear. Like I looked into their histories, I looked into their surnames. They were of Jewish descent. Pacino, we know is not. But at the same time, I think it's two things going on. With because it was in my head throughout the whole movie. Like why is Pacino playing Jewish? But one is his acting prowess. He's like one of them, one of the nation's best actors. You know, it goes between him and and uh, oh, I'm forgetting his name. Jesus, I'm losing my memory. Um, you know what I'm thinking about, De Niro. Either De Niro they go back and forth with that. Who's the best actor? In our book, we probably definitely include uh, Denzel Washington. Well, but, De Niro um, played a
3: Jew too in a Casino.
1: Well, uh, look again. You you have their acting powers, and in the case as of as the in the case that control
2: of control this stuff, it's okay by their standards. that have their power. That's why they are allowed. <laughs>
3: well, I think <laughs> I think also. They?
1: Okay. Yeah, well, I'm not going to go there. I'll let okay. you say that. But I think also in the case of, of um, not De Niro, but Pacino, Pacino has played other ethnicities, famously.
3: He played you know, Jewish in uh, Merchant of Venice, didn't
1: he? That, well, that, that's not, the most, that's not, not even the most egregious. He's played, he's played Latin on several occasions. You know, famously, he's played Latin. So, you know, are we, going to start, are we going to start now to kind of browbeat him when he's done this before? That's like a lot of his career has been playing other ethnicities. But I guess in this case, this is, this is such a cultural thing. You know, this is, this is about Holocaust survivors and, and Jewish culture. But no one's saying anything. But it, it crossed my mind. It did cross my mind. All right, let's let's, let's take a quick break. Um, I want to talk about well, there's not much to really say about Candyman, not yet. Not until we see the full tra- full trailer, which I'm hearing may be tomorrow. But I'm curious, obviously. And then I'm I'm more intrigued by uh, the Madam C.J. Walker Netflix trailer. We've been talking about talking that up for quite some time, so. Now we're seeing quite a few, uh, you know. Well, your girl there, your girl Q, Tiffany Haddish, is in this thing. I think she's, I think she's playing A'Lelia Walker. She's playing the daughter of the Spencer, uh, the Octavia Spencer, uh, Madam C.J. Walker character. So now she's uh, my girl. She's
3: my girl now. Cap, see that cap?
1: (laughs) Well, you you big up her quite a bit. I mean, you know, that's not. I mean, you you would agree to that. You do. You wanted her to be a uh, Black Wonder Woman, if I'm not mistaken.
3: Well, she squandered that. <laughs> I'm done. Just like with Steve Harvey, he squandered that. <laughs> so I'm not repping for them anymore. <laughs> All right.
1: All right. Let, let's go to this quick groove. Quick, two and a half minutes. We come back. Let's talk about these trailers. Um, I'm reluctant. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna say this very quickly because it's so disturbing. I, I don't even know how to. I don't even know how to really talk about it, but. I'm about giving out information. I'm just gonna give out the information, and it's not good. This film, courtesy of the Berlinale Film Festival in Berlin, the film is called "The Trouble with Being Born." It deals with it deals with androids, so that's you know that's one of the reasons why I'm talking about it. It Deals with yeah, I love androids, but
2: Word. <laughs> I'm going. To, well, look, I'm
1: mentioning it. I'm missing it because. Yeah, yeah,
2: well look, Exactly. I'm mentioning
1: <laughs> it. Because it deals with Android stuff, I like Android stuff But this is Also where the culture May be going And is not to be Not to be overlooked I'll leave it at that I'll get into it briefly, but it's so disgusting I I just can't
2: (laughs) Why is it disgusting? Why can't you just let people live? (laughs) What? Are you kidding me? You know? That hey, Okay. You
1: know, hey, you know, I don't, it's all right. It made it to the big
2: screen somehow.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, while I play this, maybe even the listening audience might want to Google the trouble with being born.
2: Um, yeah. Get ready, though, for the shock and awe.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's but pretty. do no shock, though. Go ahead. I think they're, I think they're prepping people. I'm just saying. Anyway, this is Nao. Nao. UK's Nao. Get to know you. Well, I should say get to know you. Get to know you. Two minutes. We'll be right back talking about some stuff. Let's groove. Again, get to know you. Now, UK's now. NAO. Okay, folks, it is the midweek review edition of Afternoon featuring Captain Kirk, oftentimes the uncanny Daryl B. So, uh, you know, I'm going to get through the bad medicine first, Captain. W- what do you think? Before we get into, let's let's bring him down to bring him up because I, this this thing right what here. What bad
2: medicine? What are you talking about? I don't know
1: what you're come talking on, about.
2: bad medicine. Uh,
1: it is bad. I don't like. I don't like this movie. I don't like what it means. Or what it
2: could
1: mean. I'm sorry? Did you see, the second, clip? Did you see the second clip? Did you see no! The second clip? I, I saw some <laughs> of the trailer. The, first of all, the trailer okay. is. I don't, I don't even like using this term. The, tra- the trailer is trash. <laughs> uh, trash is like an overused term, but I'm going to say it. That's what it is. Uh, the trailer is trash to me. But look, it's it's a, it's Burla you now, just like the Cannes K- Film Festival uh, or Cannes. Uh, this is in Germany, and um, again the film was. called I mean, I'm just going to get into it. So I looked at. I was reading a, a um, the Hollywood Reporter online, and they were highlighting this audacious film. I, dare I say, called called the Trouble with Being Born. So at a glance, look. Anytime it's about AI robot robots, I'm into that. Right? And we've seen good robots, and we've also seen, obviously, Skynet and all kinds of Ex Machina, you know, with um, uh, what's the gentleman's name from Star Wars? I can't remember his name, but uh, that was a great movie. It was very, very. Oscar Isaac. Thank you, Oscar Isaac. So, um, this particular movie, I've been reading about, not even about this movie. I've been reading about this whole push for AI, robots, robot brothels, which are already kind of in motion in England. And they're trying to get these things online, walking around, making making you coffee and all that kind of stuff. They're trying hard. Now, that part we've seen in cinema for, for, for many, many decades. But if we're going to get to the point where you're going to have men, mostly men, but men and women, but mostly men. Using um, dolls, and they're looking for these these automaton dolls, like you see in movies. There's going to be a, there's, 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 I've been reading stuff where they're going to start to explore the idea of children robots. Now you know what that means. That means that this is going to be some kind of weird outlet for pedophiles. So yeah, this movie. Like, at first glance, I thought this was, like, just a kid robot movie or something. <laughs> I, read, I read deeper into this thing. It's disturbing. I, I don't know. This is preparing us for what, what people might try to pass off as a legitimate expression. Anyway, the trouble with being born. So I'm going to read this quickly, and I'm, I'm just going to leave it out there. Uh, okay, Sandra Walner's drama about a ten year old android and her daddy in quotes, could prove to be one of the festival's most divisive. Landing under the auspices of the Berlinale's newly introduced Encounters Strand, aimed at fostering aesthetically and structurally daring works. The Trouble with Being Born having its world premiere Thursday could well end up being the most daring, not to mention divisive film in a festival not known for holding back on provocation. The second feature from Austrian director Sandra Walner, the drama, which was already named one of the Berlinale's 2020's weirdest, weirdest weirdest films, based on the synopsis alone, begins gently enough with a young girl lazing by a pool, lazing. It should be lying, I guess, lying by a pool under the name under the summer sun, discussing memories of her mother with her loving father. But as the scenes unravel, it becomes clear that all is not as innocent as it first seemed. Despite a remarkably lifelike appearance, the child Ellie is actually an android. Her memories programmed, and it doesn't take long to realize that there's something else to her relationship with this very human, very middle-aged man. Call she calls Daddy. Okay, I'm going to leave it at that. Okay, I, I can't get it. It just it freaks me out. So again, this, you have.
2: Know, you're doing so well. Read, man. Read, man. You know, you're doing well, man. Continue, man. It's only the word you're not looking at, it, Taylor.
1: That, that, I know, but the idea of this thing is much of the nocturnal activity is only implied perhaps leading, This is, they say this parenthetically, perhaps leading many to question the depths of their own imagination. Okay, so this is, see, you, know, you see what, this is, what they're trying to do? Now they're trying to make it seem like you, you can't think what you're trying to – implication implicate – okay, I'm, I'm speeding. But there are there are moments where there's absolutely no doubt as to the rather envelope-pushing direction the film is taking. Walner says the story was aimed at being an, an antithesis to Pinocchio. Funnily, funnily enough, also showing at the festival, although without so many nods toward pedophilia, or Steven Spielberg's AI. See, that's the Steven Spielberg – that's the movie I remember. Steven Spielberg's AI where the central characters dream of becoming human uh, what I found interesting about it is that we have an android whose only desires are the ones you program it to have she says I found it fascinating to show the perspective of the world through this machine that does not judge and does not care and doesn't need the meaning the meanings that we do <sighs> this, is the, this is Nambla's uh, trailer captain was it NAMBLA that Howard Stern used to always yeah. talk about? North American, American Man-Boy Lovers Association? There you go. Come
2: on. There anyway. That's them.
1: Uh, yeah, They're this, I mean, you know, look, what, Actually, look how she's... Not
2: was taking over. They're coming to light now. They always was in power. But go ahead.
1: Mm. Making such a film didn't come without its difficulties, not least around the central role, played by the 10-year-old Lena Watson, a stage name inspired by her idol, Emma Watson. So, okay, Emma is a young woman. Well, now she's like 30-something. So much time has passed. Walner admits she was initially scared about choosing a child for the part. She had originally planned to cast a 20-year-old, but then changed her mind, rewriting the script and removing several more explicit elements. Looking for Ellie was perhaps obviously slightly removed from your average casting call, the filmmakers not merely wanting someone who suited the part, but also a child... A child, Walner's, Walner says, that came from a healthy environment with the sort of open-minded family who would understand the story they wanted to tell, and also allow them to do it. In the end, she says it was pure luck in finding Watson, whose parents were known by a friend of a friend. Uh, okay, now this is another thing here about like, because you know, her, her her identity is somewhat hidden with the makeup. Like it's it's she is. She's made to look like an android, so she looks kind of human but not human. It says, uh, the young actress also wore a silicone mask and wig, which served a dual purpose, not only hiding her real identity, but also helping her resemble another actress who appears later in the film. Okay, so, I mean, this is what it is. I mean, essentially, it's an it's android film that opens the door to something that's, that has, I have been seeing. Discussed because obviously, if you're creating automatons, you could make an automaton to be whatever you want. You know, you you could have a real life, uh, a real life cartoon if you want. But when you but when you get into an AI discussion, AI and you know, what is life? I mean, this there's, there's, uh, I mean, Philip Philip K. Dick, you know, do androids dream of electric sheep? I mean, the whole, you know, the whole premise of androids getting to the point of the uncanny valley. You know, the uncanny valley is where you want, well, what you see in Westworld. In Westworld, you can't tell. You can't tell. They actually bleed. They like, there's nothing really going on that could let you know for sure that this, that this is not an automaton. So this is this is this is where we're going. But I think to have a movie, and, way, and the way this this director says, well, the, the 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 automaton doesn't care about any of this stuff. It's just a machine. I mean, that's like an opening salvo for those Nambler guys. I think it's, I, I think it's disgusting. I don't like this. I, I don't like the the mind effery involved in the trouble with being born. But look on this show. We give out warning shots, and uh, we excuse a lot of aberrant behavior, but this is putting it on wax. Not we as AfroNerd, I'm saying the culture excuses a lot of uh, aberrant behavior. And now you have this weird German film that is – and it actually you as a young person. I don't, know if that, I, don't even know, I don't even know if that's cool. I don't, I don't even know if that's cool. What are your thoughts about this? And I'm, I'm pretty much done. I'm not
2: going to see it.
1: <laughs> That's
2: my I thought about it, you know. I understand how this movie stuff works. I understand when, when you look at images and what it does to you. I understand all that. So I know, incidentally, what's going on from this standpoint. Why do you want to do a movie like this for? Why do you want to do it? Because so you say, oh, it's shocking. It's going to get people to do it. Eh, I look at it more, a little more sinister. All right? What happens when when uh, the black people saw Black Panther. Didn't it create things? Didn't it create things? Didn't it create the thing? Doesn't someone call the Captain talk about the observer collapses the quantum wave function? Didn't something change a little bit in society? Wasn't a few business started to move because of the movie? A lot of ideas? So don't think you're just looking at things, man. Doesn't work like that, man. Doesn't work like that. A lot of society will change over a period of time if you change the images that you look at, which in turn changes you also. You know, so we say we have a violent society, right? Look at some of the images that we look at, also. You see, that has somewhat to do with it. What happens when you look at an image, at the, when you go to a movie? Well, according to the U.S. military. And some scientists and some psychologists, they say you're actually somewhat hypnotized. That's why if you relate to the character, it's even better. You understand? You see yourself vicariously as the character. That's one of the reasons why superheroes are so big, with just escapism. So there's foolishness going on from my perspective. I'm just saying. You can begin to develop memes that within, not right away, in 40 years, something like this maybe you think okay to do oh it's just you know a little child or whatever 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 just it's just a choice <laughs> that's what a lot of you say now don't you about certain things that you did say about in the 80s social engineer you know now it's just a choice <laughs> i'm just saying be careful that's all that's all i'm saying but right now, it's just
1: a movie. Nothing more. Nothing else. I won't be seeing it, though. I'm good. I'm well, I good. don't know. Look, I, this, it, this is some obscure German German film. I, I don't even know how this plays out. You know, again, it, it's meant to, it's meant no, it's to be, be provocative. <laughs> oh, fuck. Well, yeah, it's meant and, to be
2: that way. It's going to be big, man.
1: In circles that are probably underground. I have no idea. Yeah, it's going to be big, man. It's going to
2: be big, man. It's going to be big, man. You
1: know? Um. It's funny, you know, what you were talking about as far as uh, cinema and imagery and how it plays. I mean, this is this is something I'm I'm obsessed with. I mean, our audience clearly knows. I'm obsessed with imagery and how this and and, and the importance of having a certain type of black imagery yeah. or at least a, prom- a, a because it is it is so. It well, first work. of all, it, it works, and I'm also very um, curious as to even with the superhero stuff. I'm dying, kind of go, going off tangent a little bit, but this is. This is in my head. And I'm sure our, our listenership is probably aware of are curious. But, you know, um, look, obviously, the show is called Afro Nerd, and, and we've emphasized heroes of color, um, fictional superheroes, and that kind of thing. And what, what, is, what has been paramount with black heroes, at least up until maybe the last couple of years, is that when they first started allowing you, and that's how I have to word it, when they allowed you to have black superheroes a these heroes were always depowered heroes they were they were sidekicks they were depowered they 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 really weren't anything to write home about and that was so intentional like they they, they could not they could not allow you even the idea of of otherworldliness of of imagination like the the controlling of black imagination is something just as a meta discussion. Like what is that? What is that? Why is that? It's one thing to prevent you from reading, to prevent you from uh navigating certain spaces, and this this has been happening incrementally. You know, from slavery from the hold of ships to slavery to to, to um after you know, post bellum de facto segregation, whatever. Uh but just as you would think, like, a quote-unquote goofy comic book, it would be no big deal. Like, why would it be a big deal to have a black person in imagination to be, like, a spectacular being? They didn't want you to have that. Now, now why do you think they wouldn't let you let, let there be such a thing as a black Superman? We didn't see, the, we didn't see a black-faced Superman until, I think, the 70s. And that's, you know, which is kind of an, a knockoff thing. It was never something that, that was in canon. Or, or, again, you had, when you did see a black person in comic books, those characters were just blatantly stereotypical, disrespectful, minstrel. And Whitewash, Whitewash was a minstrel character. I mean, this is real. Ebony Ebony, what was the other one? Ebony White. Look at what they look what they named you. Ebony White, you know, was a was a was a game. Same thing. Same kind of thing. So, uh, not until you get into the sixties and then you of course you had the great uh Kirby Kirby and Lee combination, where they gave you this fantastical African prince with all these all these abilities and wealth. I mean that was and it was I think it was so over the top; they didn't think anything out of of it. But they were they were they were intentional. Lee at Lee and um, and Kirby, even with the creation of Black Panther, that they couldn't even show you the face of Black Panther in his first appearance. Um, Fantastic Four, I believe. Fantastic Four fifty two, I think is the first appearance of Black Panther. There's, a, there's actually like a, a copy that Kirby made. Actually, there's, I think they even kind of re, uh, revisited, it, revisited that copy, the one that Lee rejected. Lee rejected the, the first cover, the first original cover of that issue of the Fantastic Four, and they brought it back as a variant. But all that it was is that you were clearly able to see like the bottom face of his cowl was clearly that of a black person. And Lee, with that foresight, said, look, you, you, you can't have you – you, let that be the surprise when they open the book. Let them buy the book first. But if you have a black person on the cover, again, as a superhero, showing his, just the bottom of his face, it, it, it'll be controversial. That's where we come from with this stuff. And I, I find it fascinating that even in fiction, you're not allowed to think beyond yourself. So when you have, what does it do psychically when a white person? I've met, I might have mentioned this before, but what does it mean when you, when a white person sees that he psychically can move a planet, or he can levitate above people, or you know, it's like really outrageous, outlandish, thinking out the box, you know, you, you, thinking beyond yourself, that that kind of imagination, what happens as fiction will soon become reality. But you don't let black people have that kind of power. Don't let black people have the power of imagination. Because if you can conceive of it, you can achieve it. And, and uh, it, look, you go to YouTube right now. YouTube, there's a picture of a German in France that's levitating on a board that looks, like, that looks not that different from uh, the Green Goblin or the Silver Surfer. This guy is literally floating, I don't know, 100 feet in the air, gliding, gliding like Norman Osborne's glider. But we saw that as fiction in the, in the 60s. How do you explain that? How do you explain that? In France, this guy is floating around on a board, just a person. I mean, you can't let them Nogs have money. <laughs> Don't let them see that. Cause, because now black folks do want there to be a Wakanda. They got a taste. Hell, I want there to be a Wakanda. I think Akon's working on it, allegedly. Anyway, enough. Folks, you two can join in on the fun. The midweek review edition of Afternoon featuring Captain Kirk six four six nine one five nine six two zero again six four six nine one five nine six two zero. All right, so let's talk about these trailers. Cap, did you get a chance to check out the Madam C.J. Walker? Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, yes, I saw it. Yeah, I saw, I saw it. I saw it. I'll check it out. Check it out. You know. Check
2: it out. That's that's all pretty much what I said. Said. Pretty much, I, I got out of it. You know, I said, yeah, I'm when it comes to Netflix, what's that, March 20th, I believe? Uh, yes, March
1: 20th. I think it, I think it is March 20th. I'm, I'm checking it now. Yeah. 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 So we check it out. Sure, a short
2: story and everything else, you know. We see it through, whether it's good or bad, we see it through. Positive reinforcement, you know. So either way, I, I'm going to see it. In its entirety.
1: I was under the impression it was like a like maybe an uh, a multi episodic thing. I don't think yeah. I'm I'm trying to confirm that now. I think I it would, is. I, I, that would make it even more interesting um, than like just a two hour, like you know, because you know, something's also we've mentioned this before. Sometimes I'm displeased with the concept of the movie. You know what I mean? Like in other words. <laughs> I, I, I was more... Well, look, we're getting more trained to get into multi-episodic uh, entertainment. I mean, I'm just trained that way. Like, when I'm looking at Hunters, Hunters is a 10-episode thing. I mean, it could have easily been a movie, but now, you know, if I saw Hunters as a two-hour movie, it would have been whack. It would have been... It would fast cut... Like, how can you... Like, we're, now we're getting into the meat. It takes... Do, do you think it takes time... To officially be able to tell a story, I mean, you know, I loved Endgame. But look, look what Endgame, Endgame was—a three and a half hour thing. Like it has to be well, kind of long.
2: Well, sometimes you, you can with the streaming service, you can flesh out the characters better, the card <laughs> But sometimes you go too long. <laughs> you can flesh them out better in a movie. You're not going to be able to flesh them out as much. You know, you got your first act, second act, third act. You know, the, and the audience wants to see things a lot of times in a movie, and even um, in episodic regular television very fast, you know, because with episodic television, you're you're dealing with appetizers. So after week three, when the reports come in, oh, what's the numbers? The numbers are low. They cancel you. But with a streaming service, they got your money already. So the producers, the writers, the directors, they be like, all right, Let's Let me really explore the character. Let me do what I really want to do. And sometimes that works very, very well. Sometimes it's not as good. You know, somebody's like, "Ah, oh, come on, man, give me something." But sometimes it's very good because you can get to really know the character. You
1: know. So, you know. Yeah. So um, again, just for spe- specificity, you know, we have Octavia Spencer. I think she's the one that. You know, she's kind of the face of this thing. But uh, Cassie Lemons, who we know from the Harriet movie, she's involved as an executive producer. Um, uh, so, and also, uh, you know, A'Lilia Bundles. Well, actually, you know what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want to make sure. So, Alilia Bundles, I know, as a as a as a person who loves the Harlem Renaissance. Um, you know, Madame C.J. Walker predates the Harlem Renaissance. But um her daughter was really like a central figure of the Harlem Renaissance. So she has kind of there's a historical lineage part that is quite interesting. I mean Alya Bundles would be deserving well it's nothing too. Not only Alya Bundles but uh heck I'd like to see a Harlem Renaissance like a Harlem Renaissance would have to be like a a five year series minimum if they were going to do it and that, even that would be shortchanging it but I wouldn't want to see I would not want to see a Harlem Renaissance story like um, even like a one season thing the Harlem Renaissance would, would could easily be worthy of something like a straight up series episodic series going on for a couple of years I would like to see that one day but this is a start but uh, I'm not going to poo poo on Haddish necessarily we'll see if she's able to you know if she's able to come to rise to the occasion. But she, she does play Octavia Spencer's daughter. You know, she's playing A'Lilia Bundles. So uh, Blair Underwood, who we haven't seen in, in a while. So yeah, we got we some, uh, some folks that I, I li- I'd like to see again. You know, um, Blair, a uh, big fan and supporter of his, of his work and uh, his persona. Garrett Morris, SNL's Bar- Garrett Morris. And uh, Bill Bellamy, Shaq's cousin. Joy-Z cousin, Bill Bellamy Is in this thing, so there's a few people You know uh, That I, I'm kind of Curious as to what they're going to bring to this thing But I, I think this is going to be a labor Of love to see how they put This down, but I don't, I, I'm trying to figure out Just how many Episodes are involved in this thing, but it is Described as a Limited web series So I'm assuming it's going to be a, You know, three, four, five episodes or more So, self made, inspired by the life of Madam C.J. Walker. The trailer is up and available now. Now, uh, again, we spoke about this late last year once we heard that, you know, his name is back. We're back at his name again. Jordan Peele is behind this Candyman reboot. Um, We will see fully what he brings to the table with this new iteration. But um, we just saw like a 20 second or 30 second teaser I see that Q Storms are still on the line Q did you see any of this did you happen to see the Candyman reboot teaser did you see the CJ Walker trailer
3: I'm sorry I got I got uh, this I had to take care of something what was the question sir
1: no what I was saying was did you happen to see any of the the trailers that we mentioned the Candyman uh, reboot. It's like 15-30 seconds. uh, No. uh, CJ Walker trailer.
3: I didn't see the original Candyman. I know that's a failing on my part. But I am... so I don't know how interested I am in seeing the new one because reboots don't really fare well in my book. I am dying to see the CJ Walker trailer. I didn't know it had come out yet. Is it good?
1: I like it. I like it. I mean, you know, uh, again, we have, I mentioned this a few moments ago, that Blair Underwood, Garrett Morris, Bill Bellamy, Oh, Tiffany come Hadditch. on, what? What? <laughs> I'm there. What are you talking yeah. about? Yeah, these are kind of the, you know, the, the, these kind of people have a certain persona. Like, you you would expect Blair Underwood. Well, I've seen Blair Underwood portray a thug before. Not effective. <laughs> you just, just. You're just not that guy.
2: Hold on. Q, you, you should be there. Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> now, don't, so here's the, here's you the you main on the question. That's what I mean. You don't have to okay. go with.
3: Who we who is, is playing C.J. Walker?
1: Octavia Spencer.
2: Octavia. Yeah. Oh, okay.
1: Okay. Hey, look, it, that it, she kind of sort of favors, and when we saw see like uh photographs of C.J. Walker, I mean, that that's kind of she looks like her. I, I'm I kind of I can go with it. The, the, to me, what's important is the costuming, the acting. Um, you know, how effective are they able to portray, even at least even visually, that time period? So um, I'm, in. I'm in.
3: I just I, I was concerned that like uh, Chadwick Boseman, Cynthia Erivo was going to do the hat trick and play yet another historical
0: character. <laughs>
1: Well, look, we got, we got, I don't, Carmen Ejogo is going to play, uh, I, I don't know if she's playing like a real, uh, she might be like a composite character, but, um, you know, she's another black Brit, so, you know.
3: <laughs> I got no problem with it, no problem. You said Carmen Ejogo? No. She yeah. can play whatever she wants. <laughs> yeah. Well, we got Haddish.
1: Well, uh, well, no, no, Haddish is also half Eretrian. <laughs> But she's also half ADOs. But you know, be the, see that, that now, I'm, you know, uh, Carnell has me thinking in these terms, which I didn't think that way before. But, but you know, many much of much of the cast is so silently ADOS. I'm really not. <laughs> you know, I'm really not. Look, I was, if you remember, I was leaning heavily on Nigerian cogitation to to bolster what's lacking in in the Akata tribe. But,
2: yeah, but you, you know, change the tone. <laughs> you know, well, you hey, know,
1: a, when you started,
2: when you started, when you, start runner, a, you know, Marvel, yeah. all that. <laughs>
1: well, look, when, when you start hearing what Arivo was saying behind the scenes, Arivo, and I think her friend, uh, I forgot the girl's name, the social media person, those two were were getting together and talking, you know, talking smack about african-americans and then saying something even to the effect of hbcu like I, I would never you know uh I, it's the it's the nigerian elitist to me i'm like wait a minute one of your presidents went to an hbcu you
2: know it's it's just what dumb you, talk.
1: it's just dumb
2: what do you get after that oh yeah you're just american <laughs> <laughs> you know
3: you know on this show you you that, that's you extol the that's virtues of nigeria too. and how they get their crap together when they come over here so She's flexing too. What's the? Nah, nah,
2: shut nah, up! Ninety nah, nah, percent nah. of the Nigerians cannot read or write, according to statistics. Shut up, Nigerian. Hello, Shut up.
1: <laughs> well, well, well. Look, the, the, right. it, look. It, it, it gets complicated. I'll just say this quickly. You know, it's complicated because, um, you, you look. You're looking at black people, and, and you still, it's still black people. But when you start getting into slick talk, and I've had slick talk levied toward me on an occasion, and they would say something like, uh, like, like try to think that oh, they'll, they'll make. They'll, I've I've had uh, even look even my late Taylor, <laughs> my, my, my 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 beloved late Taylor, um, he had said something. No, it wasn't him. Actually, his son. Let me be more correct. His son had said something about like. uh, you you people and like he made Some you people comment and the projects comment, and I looked wow. at him like, <laughs> 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 you
0: know,
1: and he was giggling. <laughs> and, <laughs> I said, <laughs> and I said, and I said, look, I said, look, Tell I don't know anything. About, I don't know anything about those people. I said, and he started giggling. I said, well listen, man, you you can't use, you you can't use the people in the project to describe someone who is uh, a, a black e- American elite or a black middle class person. And even some of the people in the projects are not who you think they are. Like, not wait, anybody. You- Let
2: me tell you something after that. If it wasn't for the American black, period, The other blacks from other places wouldn't be allowed to come here. End of story. They wouldn't be able to come. They stay in their little, dirty little country, getting their little money, whatever. No, it's the truth. All right, look at it. It's the truth. If Nigeria, if it's 90% of them can't read or write in their country, that's in their country. They come here and do well. Come on, man.
3: No, you that's said dirty little country. country. That sounded sound rather Trumpish to me.
2: <laughs> it don't matter whether it sounds Trumpish. You understand? Know Broken clock tells the right time twice a day. It's when they come here, they're beyond everybody else. It's not in their country. It's a third world country. It's the truth. Third worlders are not up to stuff. It's when the third worlders come here, they can do very well.
3: Not in their yeah. country. Y'all, y'all supposed to be repping New York. Y'all are killing me. I, I lived up in the area for ten years, and I I saw firsthand. I dated a I think she was Bayesian or Trinidadian. So
2: Jamaica's the same thing too. It's even reasonable. them,
3: they, even them. Every chance she got, she would take a swipe at American black people. Yep. So i would be like, really. So Stop. get over it. Stop it.
1: <laughs> well, well, look, the, the, Stop the, crying, the, New
3: Yorker. you all really ripping New York. Come on now.
1: Well, I'm going deeper than that. What I'm saying is, I, I, look, some of this stuff is just it's it's bad PR with black American black people. American black <clears> people <throat> at present, I would say, for the last 40 years, have had we've had bad PR. It wasn't always this way. I mean, again, we had this this this. Uh, this Watchmen TV series set it off. They can't get enough of the Watchmen now. They're trying to way to work another Watchmen. I don't, know if, I don't know if we even mentioned that. We might have mentioned that last episode, but uh, they, they're working hard to figure out a way, HBO is working hard to figure out a way to bring Lindelof in this thing, or even the renaming of it. I think it's called, they renamed it or rebranded the Watchmen as a limited series so they can open up the door to make it like, a true detective kind of thing which is, which is why, I think we actually predicted that Didn't we, Captain, that they should do it like True detective? They're working hard Because that first episode Of, I mean the first season of Watchmen Became some kind of cultural phenomenon I mean, People were talking about it, they couldn't wait People were upset, they couldn't, they were so used to Every Sunday to look at this thing Now what am I, why am I mentioning that? Because Black Wall Street Was a solidly ADOS thing a hundred years ago in this country. So that's the stock, one of a number of points of stock that American blacks come from. So I just refuse to hear this, you know, uh, Akata talk, or when you hear Revo talk this way with her friend and it's being very funny. But your come up, like your second come up, is playing who? Aretha Franklin. So you're doing a, you're doing a lot of slick talk, and you you can't be slick about American blacks and then use and literally, literally eat off their table for your come up. I'm just saying. I, I I just can't. I I just I'm in wonderment of the the regular black thing.
2: Can I? It's, yep. It's quite, I t- can, can I? Keep <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead,
0: can
3: I t- one thing? I, I I I know you tend not to like my metaphors. Yeah,
1: usually they're not, they're not accurate, but go ahead.
3: Yeah,
0: okay, <laughs>
1: whatever you say.
3: But I just know that you spend a lot of time, you just spent five minutes earlier in the show talking about how we were able to accomplish things back then, back in the day. Nowadays, we can't do it. So how are you criticizing Cynthia Rivo for playing Harriet Tubman or Aretha Franklin, and but she's clowning blacks today? That's what isn't that the same message you're giving?
1: You got me confused on that. What, what, repeat that again. Like, what, what are you? I'm saying is, say? I'm
3: saying is, you just criticized Cynthia Revo for portraying right. historical characters, right? But she clowns uh, ADOS today, right? Modern ADOS, right? Right. But, but you yourself, just, I mean, earlier in the show. You were saying how black people back in the day we were able to accomplish lots of things. You read a couple of stories, anecdotes, but you say yes, why can't we get it done today? We can't seem to get it get our act together today. I see a I see a correlation there.
1: Correlation. See, she wouldn't I have mean,
2: an opportunity. If she wasn't playing the American character in the story. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, look, there. I. I I'm being I'm being critical of that. Okay, but th- this this th- look, the the main thing between then and now is and this is this even goes into the Catherine Johnson story. When I got into the Catherine Johnson story, she was she was bolstered bolstered up by her people. So th- there was the Nigerian is doing exactly what we did what what Catherine Johnson experienced. In the 1930s, okay, but back then it was a forced situation. You know, it's, it's easy for someone coming in from the Congo post 1980, okay, but you you can't you, you don't have the right to be critical coming here, being um, ignorant of the history 60 years before you got here. You can't you 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 and Johnny come lately. That's the difference, Q. The, the difference is, again, and I see that uh, Bison can attest to this as an HBCU grad. Um, look, I give credit where credit is due. A lot of premier black folks, even in the present day, come are coming from Howard. Hampton also, but, and Morehouse, and Spelman, FMAU, FAMU, whatever. We are curating a certain type of black folks, even in this present day. But in it, during but during um, Katherine Johnson's time, there was kind of a curation of it. She was protected. The the, the 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 third black person in the country to get a Ph.D. in mathematics was her tutor. What else? She could only go but but up. But she She's able to accomplish. She's able to get a man on the moon when really her hands were tied behind her back. Imagine she was a, a, a full person the way that we see black people t- barely today. We have greater access today than she ever did, and look what she was able to accomplish with blindfolds and her hands tied behind her back. I say that you know, uh, psychically or, or you know figuratively, I say that. but but back then, you saw an in-house cultural standard, and you didn't necessarily have the same level. Of of anti blackness being promoted in the same way, it wasn't necessarily, You know, it was, it, you still it was there, it was there, but at the same time, uh, it wasn't to the degree that it is now. I think black folks are kind of sort of left alone when they weren't left alone. They left you alone up until they didn't. So she was protected because because there was a it was a segregated society. So I think, it's, I think it's a little different than a Revo coming over here talking smack. You can't talk smack and table at the same time. She's eating off the table of ADOS and talking smack while she does it. Something like that is almost – this is what Carnell says. That kind of attitude is almost indistinguishable from a white person who, who, who does that kind of thing off of black people. I think it's a little different. I'm just saying. So anyway, um, I'm going to check out Candyman. I'm, just, I'm going back, so I'm going to check out Candyman. I'm excited about it. I remember fondly of the first. I think. Well, how many Candy Candyman was it? One, two, or three? I,
2: I think, think it was, was three, three, wasn't there? Three. I think it was
1: three. The great Tony Todd pictures. He was the Candyman. Um, I I would like to think. I mean, you know, you know, people have different ways of doing stuff. They don't like the they don't like to pay homage to past actors. But he's he's so connected uh, to being Candyman, it would be nice to give him some kind of part in there. Well,
2: you know, he's still a, I think he's only 65. <laughs> yeah.
3: He's still acting. Tony, t- listen, Tony Todd played one of the best Klingon characters ever in Star Trek history.
2: One of the best Klingons ever. I never liked he's to had give a, him job, regular acting jobs, though, too
1: much. Yeah, see, I'm looking at. Oh, okay, okay. Wait a minute. All right, uh, uh, let me let me rephrase that. All right, I see, I see respect. I see respect. So Voice Tony Todd, Tony Tony Todd is Candyman. All right, because he, he's, he's still he's still himself. He, he can still do that. He's still young enough to do the thing. You know, so you have Yaya Mateen. So you're starting to see um, uh, Peels Muses. Where he starts to use people all over. So Yaya is in this thing. Tony Todd is Candyman. Okay. All right. So I'm I'm okay. I'm fully on board now.
2: <laughs> I mean,
1: not that I wasn't. I didn't not know that I wasn't. Yes, what he says. He said he's he's in it. 2020, June 12th. Okay. So okay. So what so what is this in compared to the other t- candy men? <laughs> Can So what is this? Is this a reboot? Is it a sequel? Okay, well, I'm okay, I'm answering my own question. It says the film will serve as a spiritual sequel taking place back in the new gentrified Cabrini Green. Oh, this is Ill. Okay, wait, hold wait a minute.
2: This is Ill. <laughs> yeah, oh, Ill.
1: Cabrini Green is already it was already a horror show. Shout out to Sergio Mims. Uh Cabrini Green is no no longer around. But uh it was it was the heyday of, um, generational poverty, so that was al- it was already a horrific scene to begin with, but yeah, spiritual sequel to the, uh, to the past franchise, so I guess it's gonna be, you know, I'm into it, it? and I know Virginia Madsen, I guess she's not in it, uh, it says, okay, no, she's not in it, all right uh tiana Paris from if Beale Street could talk, she's in it so you you know i'm I'm into it i you know i I, I tell you something though I definitely would like to see some kind of redux of blackula I'd like to see somebody oh, somebody yeah. tackle that oh, yeah. but be, but real serious, but really be serious about it but, i mean i i look William Marshall was such a phenomenal actor. Like Shakespearean level actor. So I mean, I I look, I dug him from, you know, he had that re- regal demeanor even when he was a star. You know, that one episode of Star Star Trek. But uh, I would want someone because the the premise of Dracula, where it's this African prince, he's trying to cut a deal with Dracula for you know for to to to, to halt slavery, like all of that kind of elements of the original. You know, for its time, was kind of you know it wasn't completely goofy connection. Like if you're going to have a quote unquote Blackula, which is supposed to be you know connected to Dracula, then uh, you know you don't want it to be like some just some kind of substandard knockoff. Uh, They need to go back into Blackula again.
2: When was the last time you watched that movie?
1: You know, honestly, I go back and forth to Blackula once a year. Like I go back to it, maybe not seeing the whole thing. But I glance it. I, I glance at uh, uh, what is it, Mister Doctor Hyde, Mister? It was one with uh, Bernie Casey that I saw in in full. You know, maybe seven months ago. The black version of Mister Hyde. I mean, you know, I I, I don't I don't. Uh, and also, uh, <laughs> with the one with uh, Ray Meland and um? Ray Malan and Rosie Greer, the thing with two heads.
2: Thing with th- that was a good movie, man. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that was a awesome. good
2: movie, man. At the time. <laughs> yo, come on. <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was good, man. It was good, man. Right up, right up. That, at the time, at the time, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yo, this is.
1: Dude, sharing a body, yep. you know Rosie, Rosie Greer. <laughs> Rosie Greer, Greer, Pam Greer's cousin, Rosie Greer. Um, he he is about to get some action, so to speak, from a young lady. <laughs> shows you how good shows show you how good his uh, player status is with this white man's head on his shoulder, and she he's trying to he's trying to get uh, some loving with this white man's head next to him. And she says, mm, I don't know. And then she <laughs> he says something to the to Ray My like, Now you know you got to go. <laughs> Isn't wasn't
3: Ray Land a classic act was he in the Wizard uh, the Wizard of Oz? Ray Mol-
1: I don't know. I forgot that that uh that's not that's not that Ray Land. That's okay, Ray something uh, Ray Walston is it? Uh, is it Ray Walston you think of? I mean, Ray Ray Mulan was a real serious actor. Uh, yeah, I know
3: the name. Go- I thought, like a classic
1: actor. Yeah, during the golden yeah. age of Hollywood, but he but he wasn't he wasn't in um, he wasn't Scarecrow. He wasn't in um, Wizard of Oz. And Ray, uh, Ray Melan was even in in a few. I mean, it goes to show you how how they treated actors uh, as uh, up until maybe lately. Like you had actors that were. The business when they were young, but when they got older, towards the sixties and 70s they were doing like like schlocky, like garbage. You know, just really. I look, you uh, know, Shelley Winters. I mean, she was in black Black stuff. She was in uh, the both Cleopatra Jones movies, if I'm not mistaken. But she had won an Oscar, I think, like fifty fifteen years before that, with uh, a Sydney Poitier film. Um. Uh, what is it? Something blue, where uh. Sidney Poitier was was befriending a blind white girl. That character, the, the the character's mother was played by Shelley Winters, and she won an Oscar. So she won an Oscar like in 1965, and by 1975, you're playing like, you know, the villain in a Black Flotation flick.
3: She got Poseidon Adventure.
1: Well, that's still exploitation. <laughs> that was still that exploitation kind of vibe i mean that's the way i mean look now you you have uh streaming services so now you might actually get something that might have a little meat to it but back then i mean a lot of these these stellar actors you know once you hit 50 like 50 you still considered young now but 50 and like uh and 50 in 1950 1960 when you were like old now, you you weren't like tom cruise running around like the flash Things are different now with age, at least for in general, women still have it hard. But uh yeah, some of these older actors, they ended up doing like you know he was he was on the on the shoulder of of uh, Rosie Greer, uh, m- making making you know sex Ill. jokes. <laughs>
2: and when they removed his head, it was ill
1: too.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Get me your body. <laughs> What's <laughs> <laughs> <It was> crazy,
1: Oh <laughs> man! Ray Bolger. Ray Bolger was the was the scarecrow. You know, Ray Bolger is the actor you're talking about, too that was in Wizard of Oz.
3: Okay. okay.
1: So no, Ray. What Ray Milan. Ray Mulan is up there with uh, uh um Mason. The gentleman I mentioned before, as far as one of my my uh, favorite actors. All right, um, let's go to another groove. When we come back. It's more to discuss. I, I still want to get into some stuff that we uh, actually you know. What the trailer for Westworld season three? Yeah, before we even go to this break, did anyone see that? I saw it. I was kind of, I was kind of impressed with. It. I they're gonna. I mean, we don't even know if it's like a separate world. Oh, or we we're led to believe it's like the regular world. I, I think it's a separate world.
2: I need Anthony Hopkins, that's all. Okay? You don't have that's what made that's what made it. <laughs>
1: well, they might not be able to fort Anthony Hopkins, but <laughs> you know, um I you know, I well look, he can still show up. Anything is possible. You know, he you need he, to know. You might get that. You know, I'm I'm a little weary of um Evan Wood because of her statements about Kobe. But, you know, I have to bypass her. I wasn't I wasn't keen on her. I was in good spirits with her until she made her comment. But anyway, uh let's go to a quick groove. We'll be back in two minutes. This is Stro Elliot. Stro Elliot. Hey Slim. Two minutes, we'll be right back talking about Westworld. <laughs> Hey, Slow. Slim, give you the best of Urban Alternative Groove, Black, in effect You know what, Captain? I just thought of something um, Sure We're going to talk about Westworld But there's something i got to get off my chest And I think you might Be able to get into this because It's, it's, it's of a sports-related manner uh, Matter manner. Um, The The Wilder Fight Wilder Fury Fight Okay <laughs> um I had a precognition that Wilder wasn't gonna make it. Okay. Okay, first of all, you know, I'm gonna go to the to the his name is Deontay, but that's I'm gonna I'm going I'm gonna I'm gonna, let, I'm gonna let that go. I'm gonna I'm gonna let the Deontay thing go. He's an excellent fighter actually. I think so. How he, <laughs> it, <clears throat> well his the excuses that he's coming up with it's not, it's not flying, you know. But I had a certain opinion based on how he came out. Okay, now he's referencing, uh, again, we're talking about this past weekend's heavyweight fight. Um, Tyson Fury, who's a few years younger than Deontay Wilder. Um, Tyson, I believe, is he, I think he's one of Scottish descent? If I'm not mistaken, the Gypsy. Gypsy.
2: Gypsy King.
1: He's named after Mike Tyson. Yeah. And he has a black trainer. I think are they are making some kind of issue. Like people are trying to say that the black trainer is being traitorous. His black no, trainer. No, no, no,
2: no, no. Really I kind of sort of heard that. Yeah, it must have been late because they really didn't have the white and black thing in this fight. They just wanted to see people get it on, which was good.
1: Well, my, look. My one of the most iconic intros for a fighter. That's been done um even in uh, even on a Simpsons episode because it was so ill. Was Mike Tyson coming out to Redman? Um time for some action. Time for some action, yeah. Like I I remember ha- I remember seeing that and I was, I, I was, my mouth was open. It was something about that. So, well, first of all, Redman is one of my favorite rap artists. Like, I, I, he, he's the only rap artist that I, I, uh, advise to smoke weed. You heard me. Like, he's the only one I, I have an allowance for him to do that. Cause it helps, the, it helps his funk abilities for some reason. He's also a New Jersey, uh, you know, I, I think I saw Redman one Redman one time, uh, going across the. Uh, you, can, you can't mistake that guy's profile. I saw him right at the point where he's about to pop. I mean, right when he had like that first hit, I knew who he was. But anyway, um, and he look his talent has stood the test of time. But that particular, the way Tyson came out, his his, his standard uniform: black trunks, black black boots very monochromatic very serious and it was it was the the um the caricature of Tyson in the Simpsons same same thing was done over in cartoon form with the same music when i saw um wilder come out it was ambiguity all over again what i mean what do i mean by ambiguity i saw uh something that i thought was good was that he had the black iconography there? I saw a, a picture of Harriet Tubman. I saw a, pi- a picture of Malcolm X, and maybe one or two other luminaries, right? Historical luminaries. Fine. But he had like some live performing rap artists. I don't know who he was, but he was like one of these today rap artists. And it was all I heard was just. Black, 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 black. I'm like, okay, this is a hot mess. And then I saw his costume. It just looked like a hot mess. I said, Okay, this guy's not gonna make it. He's not gonna make it. Because you need to have power music. At least your at least your power music. Has to give you the psychic strength to pull you over. People don't, music is everything as far as motivation sometimes. When I'm in, when I, matter of fact, I, I will use, I haven't been in the gym in a minute, but when, but when I do go, it's going to be DMSR, it's going to be, brother's going to work it out, it's going to be, um, you know, something something, something from P.E., whatever. There's going to be something that's going to get me some fishbone. It's going to get me something that's going to get me over the edge. Black, 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 black. No. And I understand um, Wilder's like 33, 34. So, you know, he's old enough to know better, but still young enough to be into Nog music. But he, he, he could have at least had um, Fight to Power. But I know that the millennial not—they're not, not going to go there. They're not—they're not going to go to the classics. But that, but this is why you lost. This is why you lost. Now, Wilder went to um, uh, what's the name of the song? It's it's a hit from uh, Patsy Klein. Patsy Klein, 1961, Crazy. Now, see, it's, that's when you, the difference—the difference between certain people. The younger white guy had no problems going to the classics. He went to Patsy Cline crazy. Now, he came out on a throne, as you said, Gypsy King, came out on a throne, more psychic energy. Patsy Cline, when you, when, you, when you play a song called Crazy, it's like that's a double entendre. Like Crazy is, crazy is like a love song. It's very, you know, it's very melodic, very soft. But when he comes out on the throne, some six-foot-nine white person is saying, crazy, that to me is uh, crazy, like uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest crazy. I saw it, I saw it happening. This Nog is going to lose. Now he's blaming his costume was 40 pounds and it made his legs weak. You should keep – no. 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 Your yeah, music was weak. You know why he lost? I lost? Heard, I heard, I, I, go ahead, tell me. I heard, all the, I heard other things that might be X-rated, but go ahead.
2: Deontay Wilder can't fight. Can't fight. He could punch to the moon. So Mr. Fury just took away his right hand. He took away that punch, and he demolished him. Mr. Fury knows how to box. And if we look, go back in history, when Muhammad Ali even fought George Foreman, they was worried about Muhammad Ali being hurt. Muhammad Ali did something that no one seen anybody before he did the rope dope to Mr. George Foreman. George Foreman devastated Smoking Joe Frazier. So they were scared to death for Muhammad Ali. Scared to death. Saying, so You're going to get hurt. He ain't hurt. He just lay back there and go, you know, strengthen his core beyond belief and just said, Boom. That's all you got, George? George is the big puncher. He's used to demolishing you. So. Muhammad Ali beats George Foreman. He didn't come back to boxing for like 15 years. He had to get religious. He had to get this because in his mind, it's not supposed to happen. Okay. Tyson Fury fights Deontay, right? First time. A lot of people said Tyson Fury won that fight, but he got dropped twice. So it could go either way Was a draw. Tyson Fury says, let me gain a little weight. I'm going to lean on him. I'm going to take away his right hand, get a different trainer, go on the offensive. Tyson Fury is not known as a puncher. Deontay punch you to the moon and back (laughs) if that right hand finds you. Right? So, but people weren't talking about the weight that Deontay gained. You know? You know, he fights at like 215, 212. He's up there around like 230 or so. 231. Why? he was psychologically damaged. You know why he gained the weight? Because Tyson Fury, Deontay, Tyson Fury got up off the floor. So Deontay Wilder said, let me gain weight because I hit him. I even hit him with the left and the right when I dropped him and he got up. So let me have a little more oomph. You got all the oomph in the world. We haven't seen a right hand like that, that one punch psychologically damaged. Let me go ahead and get a little more oomph. I need weight, too. The Gypsy King messed him up psychologically. Everybody here, don't get up. So now you're the bully in the ring, even though you can't fight, but your right hand is devastated. So you say, I got to pick up weight. Now, Tyson Fury picked up weight for a different reason. He said, I'm going to go on the offensive. I'm a much better boxer, and I'm going to take it to him. What have we seen in the beginning of the fight? Deontay backing up. That means he can't fire that right hand. It's nullified. He's backing up. He needs distance to throw that right. If that right find you, fight's over. He knows that. Everybody knows that. So most people pick Deontay but the better boxer prevails. And we've seen this time. If we look at, um, well, he wasn't a better boxer. He just brought it to him. Mike Tyson could box his ass off. When he fought Buster Douglas. Buster Douglas stepped to Mike. Mike had to back up a bit. And he still caught Buster. But over a period of time, Buster got to him. Because he's not really used to fighting going backwards. Deontay can't fight at all. You look at him when he throws his punches, his feet off bounce. When he misses, he looks like he's going to fall. Tyson Fury just took advantage of that. Instead of backing up, I'm going to just go forward. And he kicked his ass. And if he fights again, he's still going to kick his ass unless Deontay learns to box, where you set up the right hand, you do all these other things, you know. He don't even, he uses a jab to mystify you. He's not he didn't even, you know, using the jab like how a regular heavyweight would use a jab. He's thinking, I'm going to land my right hand. I'm thinking, which mainly it does. It does. If you look at all the fights, I'm not, not going to say all the fights, the last three fights, he wasn't, wasn't even winning a round. Then the right hand found you. Over. Finished you off, man. So this is what he's expected. Right now, in my opinion, he's a little psychologically damaged. That's why he's making all the excuses. Ah, oh, he fires Mark grillin. How you going to fire Mark grill man? He know what he's doing. This is Mark Rillian. You're a little psychologically damaged, man. That bully mentality. I'm going to bust you up, man. You got off the floor twice. What is that? No one does that to me, man. And you know what happens when you punch a bully in his face? Even though if the bully wins, you little mess him up a bit, because most people are scared of the bully. They back up. So, in my opinion, if they fight again, and you come, whether he was better music or not, you know, he fights this way, looking just to find the right hand. Tyson Fury's gonna win again, because Tyson Fury knows how the box. Now, the thing with boxing, is not just you get in there and you punch. They Most of them start when they're young. All of, the, all of these people, young. They're in the gym when they're 9, 10, 11, 12. This guy, Beyonce, started like he was like 19, 20. And he finds out he can punch. You see? So he needs to break that down. Don't fight him so quick like in six months. Take a year and just practice. And understand, the, the right hand is not going anywhere. That's what you got. You're born with that. Punches are born and not made. Just like people who could jump real high. You can improve on it some, but you, if you jump out of the building, you jump out of the building learn how to do it learn how to do it he never had to learn because he was always knocking people out of the ring <laughs> it's funny too man you see him so sloppy and everything like he he don't really know what he's doing then boom he said out of there <laughs> listen, so it's kind of listen.
1: Funny. let me say this and i'll be you know we'll go to something else right i'm look yeah I, my father loves boxing he really studies it he know he knows about the weight classes i mean he's so I grew up, with, grew up with his love of the sport. So I do know a little something about it. Um, and I, I just so happen to get caught up and, and, look, at this, uh, and look at this fight. So, and I, I, I admit it, I had a good time looking at it. Um, there is a psychic, a psychological and or psychic component to boxing, to pugilism. Um, when you talked about Buster Douglas, you know, the, the, the comical thing about Mike Tyson, people, you, you must remember... Mike Tyson beat most of his opponents mentally before they hit the hit the hit the of damn course. ring. You you could see the fear in the face of yep. um uh, what's his name in particular? Mike um uh what's his the, the like one of the – uh, what's the guy's name? A lot of, one them. of you his can
2: li- name anybody. <laughs> you can name No, a but lot I mean of
1: particular. People. One of one of the he, I mean Michael Spinks.
2: Yeah, he was scared.
1: Definitely, he was. You could see the fear. Of it. I mean, everybody had that fear. Buster Douglas lost his mother, so he was fueled. He had he had psychic energy, and I'm telling you that when I saw this guy, uh, a man of today, with today's weird sensibilities, assumed that meant nothing. The costume meant nothing. The music meant nothing. And then he tried to shore it up with, the, with the, the historical black iconography. You can't do that. You can't do that. Now, this is how AfroNerd accesses power.
2: Now you come Dude, out there. made public enemy look bad if he went there. <laughs> you, come,
1: you come out you come out, you come out with, with this. you come out with this power. You come out there, you got your black Panther costume on. You got Rihanna with open toed shoes in the front row greased. Afro-nerd accesses power. This nog lost because he had black, 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 nothing else, and a forty-pound costume. I'm telling you, I'm being half comical, but I believe he had the wrong, wrong music, wrong everything. Just, just no psychic energy, nothing. Tyson comes out with crazy. All of a sudden, you believe in Bojo? Yes, I do. I do believe in psychic powers. I do believe I believe I do believe in mind power. Shout out to the Oracle.
2: <laughs> well he doesn't have any because he, he don't have mind power and he don't know how to box. Alright? Punch, he could punch you in the moon. Alright? That right hand finds you, you go to sleep. That's it. As Tarver says, he doesn't know how to box. Remember Tarpa beat Roy Jones Jr., he told Roy Jones Junior, who was devastating who's a devastating boxer, and he ex- excuses tonight, Roy, boom, kicked his ass. <laughs> Anybody knows Roy Jones Jr., the left hook was his problem. It's like Muhammad Ali had a problem with guys that was left. That's why Joe Frazier gave him so much prop. That's the science with dealing with boxing. So, you see? Well, look, uh,
1: you know, and then you may tell you something else. Um, uh, Wilder took a beating, man. Bleeding from the ear. I mean, he, you know, he was jacked up. I think also the fact that, um, uh, look, both of them are, are tall, Big dudes, but Fury outweighs Tyson by I don't know forty pounds or something like that. So I mean, you know, he, he was able, like you said, he's able to corner this guy repeatedly, kept him in the corner, uh, put weight on him. He, you know, I, I agree he outboxed him, but I, you know, I think Tyson has a lot of speed. I'm sorry part, part of me, not Tyson. Although I saw some flourish, some some speed on him too, but um, Wilder has speed, but he had weak legs. This forty-pound costume, I.